0: Welcome to the Culture Bros Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Walker, along with my co-host and brother, Ernest Childs. We're here to talk about the same old stuff we chop it up about every other day. To be real, we talk about anything, but the aim of this podcast is having an open discussion about everything. It'll be spiritually based, but in real talk, so you won't have to worry about us sugarcoating the topics. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy recording it. And if you don't, well, there's probably somebody somewhere who think you all right. Enjoy the show.
1: This is what it sounds like when we rollin' our eyes still open All these people, are the drill, they, they could feel the ocean They say they can, they say they can tell me what they smoking Making waves, making waves, making real commotion This is what it sounds like when we rollin' our eyes still open All these people, are the drill.
0: The U.S. Supreme Court first introduced qualified immunity doctrine in 1967 originally with the rationale of protecting law enforcement officials from frivolous lawsuits and financial liability in cases where they acted in good faith in unclear legal situations. That's how we're gonna start this podcast. It's the Culture Bros podcast with Jordan Walker along with my co-host and brother Ernest Childs. What's good, bro?
2: What's going on, bro? What's going on?
0: Man, it is a lot that's gonna be said today. Tell me about it.
2: Tell me about
0: it. And it's not it's not the it's not what people are gonna think is gonna to go to because what I kinda of stumbled upon watching Hassan Minaj's Netflix show of qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is a legal doctrine that the United States federal law shields government officials from being sued for discretionary actions performed within their official capacity unless their actions are violating, and this is in quotations, clearly established in quote federal law or constitutional rights. This is possibly the biggest conflict of interest I have ever seen in my life. And fun fact is in 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act that ended. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and read that verbatim since we're doing everything by the book. So the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is a landmark civil rights and labor law that the United States... Uh, initiated that outlaws discrimination based on race, color, sex, or national origin, race, sex, color, national origin. And in 1967, we had to create a law that protected government officials from being sued for violating clearly established federal law or constitutional rights. Now, people that are listening to this podcast, and I'm going to end this pretty soon and we'll get to the other topics. And actually get the ball rolling on this. But I, I want to make this extremely clear. I don't know what cases in which the <laughs> the police acted in good faith in unclear legal situations in 1967. I might be slow. I know I wasn't born during that time. But somebody please, please tell me what lawsuit happened that was big enough During this time, that was an act in good faith or unclear legal situations. But that's just how we're going to start the podcast. We're going to keep it short because this is is something that I found out today. We may just be ignorant to it. But everybody that I've asked so far has never heard of it. The same guy that signed the Civil Rights Act signed this. Signed yeah. Qualified Immunity, Lyndon B. Johnson. in the same administration, three years, all it took. You know, you know what I think, too? Honestly,
2: and this, I, I think this. Wait, is- wait,
0: wait, hold, hold, hold your thought. I want to, because we, if if we start going, we going we gonna to get two on it, bro. That's
2: true, that's true. We going to get that's two
0: on it. So <laughs> to kind of bounce off of it so we could come back, first of all, first question we have for the pod when was the first time you noticed you were being discriminated against as a black man growing up in America? When, from 1996 to now, was the first time you noticed discrimination?
2: Oh, man. That's that's tough. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Oh, man. When was the first time? I oh, don't know, Jordan, you give me one. I can't even think of something right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it may not be the first time, but a memorable, the last memorable time I was discriminated against in America was right before I joined the Air Force. I was working at a Chick-fil-A in Vicksburg, Mississippi, brand new Chick-fil-A. Just made it, everybody's excited for it. There wasn't a Chick-fil-A anywhere in that area for miles, for a really, really long distance. So everybody's excited for it, right? And my dad knew the owner. And he got me a job at this Chick-fil-A. While I was working at this Chick-fil-A, a couple of months in, everybody's so excited about the store. The manager comes back and gets all the black people into the kitchen. He tells us, hey guys, so I called the police already and they should be here pretty soon. But we got a phone call from a random cell phone number claiming to be the KKK saying that they didn't like black people working at this fine establishment and it's uh, like I said it's a new establishment and they made a couple of threats that they didn't want to tell us so the managers gave us the option it was like hey y'all don't have to go outside and do any outside work at all today the managers will pick it up we'll do everything Uh, you don't have to work in the front counter if you don't want to but every black person said no Because if they see us change what we're doing, then that just gives them the power that they're looking for. So we kept going on throughout that day. And this might have been a little bit ignorant. But we kept going on about our day as if it was normal. We didn't. But we looked after each other. Everybody in that store kind of watched us. but And a couple of guys pulled up. And they just stayed in their trucks, didn't get out. And made a couple of gestures that, honestly, it was like I, I understood at that point the face of racism is scared because they won't get out of their comfort zone. They won't get out of their truck, right? If they don't have a gun, then they won't come and confront you. They won't tell you about their opinion. They'd rather just spout their ignorance from a distance and then go home thinking that they've accomplished something. And something that all of us made sure we didn't do was give them the satisfaction of watching us react to them. To this day, I don't react to racist people. I don't react to any sort of discrimination like that that's meant to get a rise out of me because I'd rather take everything that they throw at me. And it's a painful thing. And I told one of my friends, Brian Wallace, he was on on the pod not too long ago. I told him I'd rather take the pain of what they throw at me, embrace it, and understand them better so I know how they move then give them the satisfaction and the easy reaction of getting a rise out of me. And from that day, I believe that was in 2013, um, I chose to always embrace the pain over giving them what they want. And this is just my own stance. This isn't a stance of everybody. It's something that I've put in myself that I won't do because I feel as if I'm able to make more clear, and concise actions with a peaceful mind. And this is something I've been preaching on Facebook amidst all the stuff happening in America, rest in peace, uh, Floyd, rest in peace, Arbery, and every other black person that's died in senseless, racist actions. Because in those situations, our reaction really doesn't matter because there is no more action after it. And, it's the, fate of, it's the fate of the black man, of the colored person. And, yeah, that was the first time I was, not the first, but that was the most memorable time I was discriminated against.
2: Mm, of course.
0: Dang. I don't even think uh, I've ever told you that.
2: No, nah, uh, uh-uh. I ain't the first time I heard that story. Dang. Dang. Uh, man, to be honest, you know, I don't I really, I can't really think of a moment where I was, where I noticed I was discriminated against. Um, I know I've, I've been living in this system, uh, living in this society for a while, growing up in Georgia. So I probably experienced it. didn't even notice it, you know. Um, I've heard of people close to me, though. You know, I remember um, while well, my dad is calling me, huh, do people normally answer phones on podcasts? Is that a thing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could cut it out. All right, hello.
2: What's going on, Dad? Hey, son. Hey. Hey, I was calling you back. Oh, okay. Uh, me and me and Jay, we doing a we doing a podcast right now. Uh, can I can I give you a call back? Oh, uh, no what Betty, yeah, but I asked you a question, Dad. You can be a part of it real quick. Maybe okay. give me a story. Uh, that when was the first time? That you experienced uh, racial discrimination to you personally? Ooh, I was a little boy um, on the playground in um, in, in
1: Manchester, mm-hmm. and we had, we had just integrated with the uh, with the uh, with, with our white school, and I, cause I oh, up through the third grade it
3: was fourth grade because after the third grade I was at Meriwether County Training School, and. I was on the playground, a little boy named John Elliott. I still remember him to this day. And uh, he's, that was my first taste of, of, of prejudice. First taste of discrimination. Hmm. So he and I went through high school together. He was, he was the first one.
2: And what what happened? And basically
3: on the playground, and he did not like that a black boy was on the playground with him and decided that he, he wasn't going to let me play with anything that I wanted to play
2: with. Oh wow! That's what that's what it was,
3: and he and he and was so mad, man. That he he wanted to fight. I still remember, remember him hitting, hitting me in my back. I can't I can remember like it was yesterday. Wow, man, that's early. Yeah, that that was early. That was the
2: first time. Man, that was boy, back in the sixties. Mm-hmm.
3: See, I was in. I went to elementary school. See, I was born in sixty one. So I was in. I was six years old in sixty seven.
2: And so that was probably around sixty nine seventy. Mm, okay.
3: That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was my first. That was my first taste. now later on I I, I figured out uh, that my, my daddy and mom had been uh, been discriminated against uh, when I was a kid, but I didn't know that mm. that was going on because they were calling my mom and dad Eloise and Ernest, but she they had to call them Mister and Miss Miss
2: Steele and Mister Steele. And I mm. couldn't figure out why you were calling my dad and mama Eloise and
3: Ernest, but they had to call
2: you Mr. and Miss. Mm. Yeah. But I didn't, that I didn't figure that out until later. Oh, man. Yeah, Jordan had asked me when the first time I experienced racial discrimination. I told him I couldn't think of a moment where I experienced it and noticed it mm-hmm. uh, personally. I've seen it, you know, uh, heard about it. But as far as me, where I've known, it, I'm like, ooh, I just got racially discriminated against. I can't really... Think of a time at the moment. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Olivia,
3: had, she had the same thing until she ran to that guy
2: oh, yeah. at uh, McCurry Park. Yeah, I remember that. That's what I actually thought of Olivia uh, on, uh, when Jordan asked me the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she
3: ran to that guy at McCurry Park. That was her That was her first taste. We, Mom and I have been telling her that stuff exists still to this day. But you know, uh, we 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 brought our kids up to to feel they were equal with everybody else, yeah. And um, and not to you know run around looking at, for racism around every corner. But me and Mama, you know, we we are children of the '60s. We can't uh, we can't uh, change, right? You know, we we can't be insensitive to it because it, it's been done so many times.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, Dad, I appreciate your uh, your story. We're gonna we going it's okay. We put it on the podcast. Yeah, you can put it on that and uh, on the
3: podcast, and and maybe
1: not use the guy's last name. His name was John, though. I'll never forget
0: it. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> we've been coming up with names the whole pod. So last John thing. is John is John. Okay. Uh, he and I went through school all the way.
1: We graduated in the same class. Mm.
3: But that was our first encounter, white and black. And uh, we got into it on on the playground. And that's because he, he thought that uh, because I was black, I shouldn't be able to touch nothing. Wow. And, uh, I, didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all.
0: Yeah. I was scared, too, because I wouldn't, wouldn't uh, you know, you wouldn't interact with white folks like that. Yeah. Yep,
3: yep. Absolutely. But yeah, feel free to use the sign. All
2: right. I appreciated that.
0: Appreciate it, Mr. EJ. All right.
2: All right. All right. I, I'll talk to you later. Dad. Love you. Okay. Love you too. Bye. Man, but, so... uh, but yeah. He mentioned my sister's incident. Yeah. Uh, and so my sister, she was in the McCurry Park, uh, with, with my folks. And, you know, you know how, you know, dogs see people and dogs just get excited and stuff like that where they may bark or they may lunge at somebody and stuff like that yeah my, my sister walked past this guy and his dog and the dogs are acting up and the guy said out loud he says talk to the dog it's like stop you making stop making me look bad in front of this nigger, Or something like that i was like whoa wow it's like wow McCurry this Park was two, and this 2019
0: a year ago, two thousand nineteen, yeah. McCurry Park in Fayetteville, Georgia.
2: Yeah, yeah. And my mom had an incident in McCurry Park, uh, just a few uh, weeks a week ago with the with the with the uh, white lady, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Madden is there's layers to racism, right? And not every black person goes through the same layers of racism. Like Lil Wayne goes out and says he's never experienced true racism. And I see a lot of people go at him because of that. And that's not fair because some of us just haven't gone through it, mm-hmm. but a real large majority, just, just from hearing from your dad, like your dad's gone through it. Your mom's gone through it. Your sister's gone through it. There's only one person in your family that has managed to avoid serious racial discrimination. And like the odds are just so bad. And just for me, I know my mom's gone through it. My dad's gone through it. And the thing that a lot of black people don't even talk about the most is I have five other siblings and we don't speak about it to each other. Like I've, I have I think my dad is the only person that knows of the Chick-fil-A story because I, I I went home and I told him. I was like, yeah, some people claiming to be the Klan call and threatened to come up. And I, they didn't tell us what the threats were. But, you know, the rest of the day was good. Uh, we just kept and that's a strength a lot of black people have. We just know how to take it. And that sounds so sad from a lot of people that have to hear it that we just know how to take it. But that's just been our history. That's what we've had to deal with since slavery. Even from slavery and the shroud and veil that goes over people's eyes throughout time is, oh, we see, you know, Michael Jordan. We see LeBron James. We see Beyonce, Jay-Z. Racism can't exist. Black people coming up like this. And the thing is, is just as rare as those black successful celebrities are, it's just as rare for them all to avoid racism. And throughout all of the industry, Lil Wayne might be the only person that I've ever heard say that he's never experienced something before. And that's just the strength of our people. We've just always gone through it and we've always been fighting. And throughout these times and everything going on in the States right now, it's deeply in us already, but the surface level issues that America comes with that really wear us down. And I got to say, like, I like I want to do this pod maybe on Sunday or like last week sometime when everything was happening. But I'm happy I had the time to meditate because I just figured out about qualified immunity maybe like 45 minutes ago. And just breaking it down within my own head is still like understanding what qualified immunity is. And we'll get to that later in the pod. It leaves me breathless because it's existed for so long. It's not taught in schools. It's not taught in colleges. It's not ta- it's not spoken about in the political world, but it happens. It's it's a major part of what happens. But before I get into that, because we're gonna get into that into this pod, I'll get on to the next question. Uh, the next question that I have for you is: um, How do you react to the world's treatment of black people?
2: Oh man! Well, my reaction. um, I think my first re- my first reaction is my emotional reaction. Um, it. It hurt. It hurts me. It saddens me. Um, it angers me. Frustrates me. But it it, it empowers me to do something. To uh, to speak out. To to voice uh, a voice of change. To gives me uh, power to stand up for what's right, Stand up for for justice. Stand up for for truth. Um, also, it makes me vigilant. Vigilant. You know, no, even though I can't remember. A, a time where I uh, got discriminated against, you know, where I recognize it, like directly in my face, or directly uh, being confronted with it, I I still know that it's out there, and I, I must stay vigilant. I must, uh, you know, be mindful of my environment, be mindful of the people around me, uh, be mindful of of how people perceive may perceive me. So you kind of you kind of keep that in back of your head at all times, and you make sure you govern yourself and uh, conduct yourself in a manner in a manner that's um, that'll keep you keep you on the on the right side, you know, because uh, you can't lose your head, can't lose your cool, uh, because if you do, that could be either life or death for you. And, uh, and and so many times, you know, we are justified in, in the anger, we are justified in how we feel. And stuff like that, but we still have to have a certain level of self-control in this way. Know how to channel that energy, channel that anger, channel that those emotions in a, in a way that's going to produce produce change. Uh, so I, those are my reactions when I when I think about how black people have been discriminated against. But but my emotions range from from sadness to to straight fury. Um, yeah. But I, I'm shocked by the heart of black people, their resiliency. You know, for for people to be done treated this way for so long, I am still surprised that as a people we have not switched to revenge as a response. Which is which is which is, is mind boggling. But uh, but yeah, that's my that's my reaction to it.
0: Word, word. my reaction is for I'll speak more on the current events because it changes with every punch I take because I'm 24 years old. You just turned 24. It's not Mm -hmm. like I'm my parent's age who have gone through multiple generations of or multiple decades worth of discrimination, right? We've really only been through about two that we remember. Yeah. So with the current events that's happening right now, the way I've seen my people react Killed me the most. It because I I understood every single bit of rage that that they felt. I understood every tear that was dropped. I understand every blood that fell. Every mother that went that had sleepless nights, wondering where her son's up at night when he hasn't called her Mm -hmm. and he's out with his friends. Every father that gets mad at his son when he sees him raise his temper out in public. There's so many things that like run through my head and not that many of them really apply to me. Because like I said, back when my Chick-fil-A incident happened, I accepted a certain level of responsibility and pain that comes with being black. And the reason why I took that on is because I've reacted emotionally before. And that's not a bad thing. And it's something that I do still think about to this day is I really am on the border of how I react when it comes to my emotions. Because whenever I do act emotionally, it's real erratic. It's just uncontrolled anger and rage. And I don't know how to control it sometimes. And I don't like that feeling because when that reaction comes out, when somebody gets a rise out of you, the other person sees your weaknesses and they see how to attack you and i don't want to give any enemy that wants to draw that out of me that power that tool to use against me later and it's a rough tool to use because it rips me up inside every time Mm -hmm. i have to control it every time that i have to sit and think and try to find rationale in it or work my way back to god for the people that are faithful Because God will be the ultimate light to any answer that you're looking for. Trying to find that answer in the midst of it all is like being in a hurricane. But ultimately, you have to work your way to the eye of the storm. And in this situation, it's going to be the eye of chaos. And within the eye of chaos, you see everything that's going on. You understand which way it's going. You understand why things are happening, what's floating around. It's the most calm of all the chaotic things that's happening is within the eye of it. I choose not to leave that storm. I choose to stay in the eye and always move in that area because Mm -hmm. within there, I can tell my people what's going on. And the thing about being within the eye is typically you're alone. Nobody wants to always be in the eye of a storm. There's not that many people that build their house in that area. That's kind of what I've done. And a couple every now and then, there's people that pass by that kind of see what I'm trying to do, but I don't I don't blame the people who don't. I don't blame the people who enter the storm and try to leave as soon as possible because that's the rational way of thinking. I decided to keep going deeper into it until I found the eye and finding it isn't easy. Every now and then it swallows me up and I have to find my way back to it. And I don't ever try to find my way out because on the outside looking in, it's hard to see what's going on from the inside out. Things are a little bit more clear, but when you always see chaos and disaster, it's kind of tiring after a while, but it's something that I prayed on with God before I joined the military to be a leader. And it was something that I guess this is a piece that goes into it is being a leader that could live within the eye of a storm so he could be able to lead anybody who are lost in it, who don't know how to navigate in it, who understands how to, be, who, how to take the hits it's almost like how in Florida, they build their houses to take the storm. They don't build their houses to avoid the storm. In Mississippi and mm-hmm. Louisiana, they build houses on elevated uh, spurs or at the top of hills. They build levees. They understand how to survive the eye of the storm through the eye of the storm. And- well,
2: you know, it's something you said about the eye of the storm that's really amazing, though. At the eye of the storm, it's very peaceful. You know? And the eye of the storm is where the light shines through.
0: And you need to have that peace and that light to be able you need- to see it all.
2: Yeah. it's it's almost like you go through the storm, you get battered a little bit, you're 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 being challenged, you're being pushed, but then you reach the eye. And now this is where God is teaching you what you went through. He's teaching you uh, what, you know, what lessons did he be learned? He's, he's giving you wisdom. He's giving you insight. He's giving light into the situation, which prepares you to go through. So it's like, it's like the first part of the storm is chaotic. It's chaotic. Cause you're, cause you're, cause you're going through for the first time. Then you're being taught, but then you get to, you're being go through forged the next part of the storm. within it. Yes. Yes. And you go to that next stage where now you're putting into practice but you're learning from the experience, from the reflection, and now you're testing what God has put in you when you go
0: through the rest of the storm. Everything that you forged throughout the entire storm, in route to the eye of the storm, you now are sitting with. Within the peaceful mind of the storm, within the eye of the storm, everything that's hit you, you understand. And that's a lifelong lesson that I've learned is within the eye of the storm, do you learn the most lessons? And that's a place that I choose not to leave because instead of praying for avoidance of the demons that come into my mind, I embrace them. I sit in the eye of the storm. Within depression, instead of running away from it, taking drugs to try to repress it, drinking my way out of it, I sit within the eye of the storm to understand what's going on. But the thing is, is within the eye of the storm, you have to understand you still take risk if you ever choose to leave it. And within that risk, you can spiral out of control. And it's a cliffhang of insanity that even I can't say what will happen if I ever choose to leave it. And whoever I do end up marrying or whoever comes along the line to understand me is going to have to understand that I'm just the type of person that my mindset, and this is a mindset kind of thing. It's not literal. I'm not actually going to run into the center of a hurricane and move with it. That's insane. It's a mindset or if the day comes that I do have to do it, I have the mindset to do it, but Whenever I see the, world, the world's views of black people come, whenever somebody says something that down talks black people, I've been through that part of the storm already and it doesn't really affect me. I've seen it, I know how, I know what happens after. I understand the pains that are gonna come with it, therefore I don't react. The only things that i react to are the things that benefit the fight, that benefit the cause, that benefit the other side of a chaotic storm which is like a forest fire. After the forest fire comes the ashes and within the ashes is where the acorns are gonna grab root and they're gonna regrow the forest that was once burned down. That is what I understand what happens after the storm is it's eventually gonna pass. Even though this is the longest storm that's happened in human history, no matter where you go in the world, there's gonna be discrimination. There's in some way, shape or form. And that's something that I wish Black people would hold on to more. I wish that they would hold on to how valuable they are, how the blood that's in our veins, how far we've gone, the strength in our blood, how we were forged through slavery, through Jim Crow to be able to take anything at this point. And we are people that even though we don't have a full grasp on everything that happens within our community, we still fight to better it. And through all that, I understand from the eye of the storm that we have a lot of space to grow and that not just us, but everybody around the world, all the protests that are happening around the world, they're looking into the eye of the storm. They're looking at America because American black people are the eye of the storm for the rest of the world. And even though we may be on the perimeter, we're still still—we're still getting hit by debris. We're still the eye of the storm for a lot of people. A lot of countries are still not unified. China for instance, is an example of an economy and a government that is, for the most part, 100% the same population, but they still have rights. They still fight the government. They're still fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for just freedom of access to the internet, right? In the Middle East, a lot of them are fighting over the same religion of what type of that religion are you There's people in the United Kingdom that are fighting over what type of Catholic are you? There's, or what type of Christian are you? And there's so many people that look towards us Then our leaders breeds other leaders. And for my reaction to the world's treatment of black people is chaotic. I understand it's chaotic and I won't react to it because I've understood this for a long time. I've understood when I was at Chick-fil-A that there's just people that don't like me because of the color of my skin and I don't want their acceptance. But at the same time, I don't detour their change of mind because everybody's mind changes over time just as people change over time. And I'll never push anyone away, but I'm never quick to attract. Everything is done very deliberately because from the center of this storm, I understand you just can't reach your hand in for an apple when you know that debris is flying hundreds of miles an hour ready to take your hand off. It could just be a ruse. It could just be a setup for something else worse to happen. Once the eye of the storm edges closer to that apple and you can safely secure it, that's when I decide to make my move. So when I clear my mind over time, that's when I decide, that's when my best decisions are made. And that's why I'm happy that this podcast was delayed. And it might have been just divine intervention at this point because I, I was hitting you up plenty of times like, yo, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to do it. Yeah. But it, was, it wasn't meant to be at that given time. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's my reaction of how I react to the world's treatment of black people yeah yeah Feel on that Feel on that man yeah but uh on the, to the next topic that might just go on the longest is uh qualified immunity um so To give it all context, before we get into it, I'll read the definitions of everything. So I'll start in 1964 with the signing of the Civil Rights Act. And in 1964, the Civil Rights Act to outlaw discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. It prohibits unequal application of voter registration requirements and racial segregations in schools, employment, and public accommodation. So pretty much the face of America was completely changed. The face and the backbone of America was completely changed by the Civil Rights Act of 1964, signed into legislation by Lyndon B. Johnson. Three years later, in 1967, was a new doctrine called the Qualified Immunity Law, which is in the united states federal law system shields government officials from being sued by discretionary actions performed by their official performed during their official capacity unless their actions violated clearly established federal law or constitutional rights and the verbiage that's used clearly established is placed in quotations and the rationale of this originally was born Due to the requirements of protecting law enforcement officials from frivolous lawsuits and financial liabilities in cases where they acted in good faith and in unclear legal situations. This was also signed by Lyndon B. Johnson three years after the Civil Rights Act was signed. And it's the same law that prevents, for instance, military doctors from, even though I believe this has changed, it's protected military doctors from being sued for botched surgeries, pretty much. And that's just uh, an analysis that I've thought of. Because for a while, botched surgeries in the military, we've known we can't sue doctors in the military. Military members can't sue doctors. For as long as I've known, every bad situation that's happened when race is a part of that conversation when it comes to law enforcement. And this applies to all government officials, by the way, but in this topic, we're specifically on the topic of law enforcement. It's the reason why due process of law is slower. It's the reason why it's just a slower thing to peel apart and why a DA will come out and say there's still things that they need to comb through because there's a possibility that what the officer has done is legal. Is because of qualified immunity, because essentially the DA has to prove without a shadow of a doubt, essentially, that the system that he or she works for, that the government official performing their duties in official capacity failed under federal law or constitutional rights. And to me, and I'll just say this before I get uh, your opinion on this thing that I stumbled across, I've asked a few people who are born during that time who are older than me. Did you know about this? And everybody said no. And this is something that I've never heard lawmakers speak about, presidents speak about, anybody speak about for that. And yeah, there's a lot to digest out of this. And from what my perspective is from the outside looking in is like the rationale that it is born from, from it's supposed to protect government officials from lawsuits and financial liability liabilities in cases where they acted in good faith and unclear legal situations in 1967 now i might be crazy stupid or any combination of the both but i don't know what legal situation happened in 1967 three years after the civil rights act where they could racially discriminate against people due to the color of their skin, sex, national origin, or pretty much anything. I don't know what action that they could have taken three years from after it was legal that could possibly get them sued from it being constitutionally illegal. I might be stupid because it was 1967 and everything was roses and fruit and rainbows and all that good stuff in 1967. I might might be confused. I am the unclear one. But... This is something that has existed for a long time that I've never. It's not taught in schools. Like you, my, and Ernest went to a private school. I went to public school. Ernest, have you ever in your life heard about qualified immunity from private school?
2: Uh, no. Nah, we we never taught. We I had a, a political class too. You know, we went over the government and and the constitution stuff like that. But no, nah, I never never brought that
0: up. I've asked. You know, When we had just got off the phone with Ernest's dad and before we had got on the phone with him about this, I had asked him before we started the podcast, has he ever heard of qualified immunity? Him nor his mother have ever heard about qualified immunity. Why is it that I'm 24 years old? Ernest is 24 years old. His parents were born in the 60s. My parents were born in the 60s. And many people have existed between the signing of this law and where we are now. Presidents have existed, have been elected, and uh, politicians, Supreme Court justices. Why has this never been spoken about? Out of all the times that Black people have called for racial unjust injustice, why have I never heard the two words qualified immunity? And before we get into that, or if we end up drifting into that, what are your thoughts on qualified immunity? On oh uh, man, uh,
2: simply. Play. I like to make it simple. So look, people, are people like Martin Luther King, civil rights leaders, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, all these different people. I probably Reverend Al Sharpton, but like, he didn't the alive then. I don't know. But uh, you got all these people though in the civil rights movement who pushed for this change against uh, the oppression of, of black people in the United States. And you know they were they were they were. Uh, Protesting and, and doing lock uh, sit-ins, they were doing bus boycotts. They were they were doing all these things to get the attention and push for this change. And it gets to the highest level in, in the in the uh, country, and they write a civil civil rights bill which stops legalized uh, segregation and discrimination against black people. So now government agencies, uh, uh, businesses cannot discriminate against people on the basis of race. If they are, they can be convicted and stuff like that, which was a win. That was a big thing that happened. Martin Luther King was there and people rejoiced and and people really thought that, you know, change is now here. But then they come in secretly behind and undercut, you know, what was just been done now the government agencies that that now have a law against them saying they can't discriminate against how now how now has another law protected them saying yeah you got to prove it you know that is racially charged racially this without a shadow of a doubt and the people who who are going to judge this case are from the same branch the same system so really now that there was a law in place that will hold people accountable for racial injustice is now nullified by another law, you know? We've been completely wiped out. So it's, it's I, I see why Martin Luther King was speaking to a group of young people in 1968, and they booed him from his own uh, uh, group, and he said, they they booed him because they they are hurting hurting because they bought the they bought the the dream that that Martin Luther King had they 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 believe that they were working toward a nation that would not see them on the basis of color of their skin they 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 bought into the vision that that this will come to pass but he had to look and say you know we have we have not been able to deliver on that promise and the reason why because large part because of, because of that bill. And they snuck it in there. They snuck it. They made big publicity about the civil rights law, which was a big deal, but come right behind it three years later and undercut it. And now we have black people screaming for justice, and people keep escaping through a loophole in the law. And, and that is completely sad. That is that is disheartening. That is frustrating, and I. But they are being exposed. This is this is a truth that has been in darkness, but has now been brought to light. And as Jordan told me, so he, he got word of this, he says, "I know how we need to fight," and and that's and that is a one of the one of, a, a really good starting point, a uh, really good a uh, really good place to, to begin this fight and 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 really fight for. The change and get results that that we need and that we deserve. So that's all I have to say about that for now.
0: And that's the important part of what I found in this doctrine that I stumbled across watching uh, Hassan Minaj's television show on Netflix. And this is going to tie into the last question of the pod is what about black people do you find beautiful? And for me, It's our optimism. It's our ability to overcome the diversity that we have within each other. Every black person has his own tool, has his own asset that, once discovered, we can utilize in ways that could shake the world. We have voices that are loud enough to shake the world. We have a presence that's undeniable about us. And when we cultivate and mold that into a fixture that could be used as the greatest horn that could be heard from the depths of hell to the tops of the heavens. Black people have been able to form that throughout generations, and not just from America, since Africans were taken from our original homelands. We found ways to be able to make our voices known. We found ways to change governments, Within the last, within the existence of America, black people have been fighting for our freedom, and it didn't happen overnight. It happened through hard work, blood and tears, and unfortunately, the death of a lot of our people. And it's because the battle that God has left us with, God knew that we would have to take on the world and that this was a possibility. God may have foreseen all this happening, but with, it's not like we've been left here by ourselves. And we've been left here with great leaders like Barack Obama, who was an example of a very poised and elegant black man, along with his family, of how you could sit in the highest seat in the land in America for eight years, which is hard, hard. Everything you do is being scrutinized. And I'm speaking of his personal actions, how he went through that whole thing as a black man and not a single negative word could be spoken about him personally. His decisions as the president, that is up for debate, depending on who you are. But within that, I'll say take that as a grain of salt, because every president in some way, shape or form. Is gonna do something that somebody else isn't gonna agree with. And before him, we had great leaders from the civil rights movement, like Malcolm X, like Huey, like Martin Luther King Jr., like Louis Farrakhan, like everybody that fought for every single one of rights. Rosa Parks that initi- that initiated a lot of things. She wasn't the initiator. She wasn't the first. She wasn't the first black person that that happened to. It was just the first person that caught the media's attention. And back then, the media was quiet. So that had to have been big for them to catch that attention. And everybody rallied around that back when Harriet Tubman was fighting for our freedom and working with the Underground Railroad to get us to the place we've been to all the black leaders who have shown us lights and directions of how we could become great. We have a history of people that have shown us how beautiful we are, how even during the hellish times that we'd have to go through back in the past, that we could still make salvation out of it salvation we made salvation on earth happen in the darkest of times but we had to go through the darkest of times and at the end we had God to fall back on when it was all said and done no matter what decision we made if you're a faithful person we had God when it's all said and done if you're not a faithful person we all have the same faith that we all fallen into and within that could be the peace of understanding that we're all going to be in the same place. We're all going to be back at the place where we began. And Within that is the beautiful story of how black people have turned. We're pretty much the alchemists of the world. We've turned dirt into gold. Even to this day, to a lot of people, they believe that we're still not worth anything. You go around the world, you'll still see discrimination happening. And the idea of racism isn't a color thing. It's an idealized action. Chinese people will discriminate against each other. But in America, there's a more thick definition of it where they could place that on the black man and and the black woman that we started off as the genesis of racism in America. And we've had to fight this oppression for so many decades. And things like the qualified immunity law are ways, for example, that Colin Kaepernick took a knee in the first place. And... It was hard for black people to prove our case because we didn't have as many phones back then. We didn't have video recording just pop out of our pockets and show the injustices happening that we've known have been happening. We've come from a past that has never been in favor of us. So we were all baffled and just kind of confused how people could just be confused as to how within a generation as old as our parents that this system hasn't changed. For the most part, the Constitution hasn't changed that much. After appoint the Constitution, the Constitution stopped changing. So why is it so hard to understand that the legal system that is based off of the verbiage of the Constitution, which, by the way, the way that they prosecute everybody is to the furthest extent of the law. That is how far they can go. There's no minimum extent of the law. That's based on the judge. That's based on the government official who was dictating that, who was affected by qualified immunity, who works under the weight of qualified immunity. They understand that they have something that backs them. Meanwhile, black people are just pleading our case from under somebody's knee and we still die. We could say that we're not breathing, and we still die. We could just be doing, we could just be walking down the street from the store in a hoodie with some Skittles and we'll still die. We could do as little of an infraction as jaywalking and we'll still get beat down in front of everybody. There could be complaints against police officers, multiple complaints, over over 10, over dozens of complaints by multiple officers within your system, within a county system. Two of them may have been proven or have been acknowledged. Nothing has been done about it that police officer still works there. The quality of the justice system that we have is piss poor at the best and it can be improved. And that's the beauty within the eye of the storm that exists. It can be improved and it will be improved because we will refuse to be silent about this. And for the first time, the world sees the silence that has been shoved in our mouths that can't be ignored by the views of our eyes. Luckily, there was somebody with a camera and the there there's a lot of debate over why didn't the people push the cop off and all every black person in the world wants that but in order for the world to see what happens to us i don't know why it takes things like this or trayvon martin or michael brown or sandra bland or so many others that have died under the care of law enforcement officials or their death has been in lieu of law enforcement officials that has taken this much for the world to see what was legal three years after the Qualified Immunity Act was signed, what was happening in the 60s and prior, the slavery that existed before the 1900s. We don't know why it took this long for somebody to hurt our dying breath, but they officially hurt it, and it's impossible to ignore. There's nothing they could do to silence us at this point. And the beauty of black people is we're still going to progress. We're still going to be great. We're still going to grow. We're still going to be genetically just great and not saying other people aren't genetically great the the fire that we were forged in from our ancestors still burns within us to this day and that's within our genetics and that's a beautiful thing and throughout this whole situation i know we're going to bounce back even though a lot of us got caught in the storm that's been happening all of us, a lot of us are going to find our way out i'll still sit within the eye of the storm because that's just the place that i've chosen But I could still go, and I understand how to navigate and be with my people. And we we will reap the fruits of our labor. As the Lord says, we will reap the fruits of our labor at the end. And we will not do it by using the tools of the system that's oppressed us. We won't invoke a qualified immunity for black people because it's just going to be redirected somewhere else we're going to use the tools that freed us in the first place to free us now and we'll be the eye of the storm for the rest of the world to see the rest of the world is going to get to the holy place we're going to get to the final steps bro we that's the beautiful thing about black people we're pretty much just going to be the moses of this entire situation and that's kind of where i'm at that's it
2: well, well, I see it's such a correlation between black people and Jesus.
0: Oh man, we're all connected, man. Mm-hmm. Jesus had it's to like, Jesus had to go through trials and tribulations, and for black people, we've gone through our own hell. As a collective, but do you remember? Do you remember the covenant that God made to Abraham? Though
2: he said the the nations will be blessed through you. And he said, those who bless you are blessed. Those who curse you are a curse. And I mean, look at black people, especially in the, in, the, in America. We have blessed the world in so many ways. We bless the world scientifically. Look, we black women are the people who did the math that got American astronauts to space. Yeah. We bless people uh entertainment wise through music through dance through culture engineering, engineering uh we think, think about peanut butter and the use of peanuts how many how, how much stuff do we use peanuts George washington carver man if we you pull know, out his
0: track as uh, to how many things um, he invented boy we this be another hour long podcast
2: yo yo check it and then you got uh so i said musically i said scientifically health-wise uh one the, of the first heart open heart surgery was done by the research of a black of a black doctor, you're talking about the traffic light. You're talking about uh, uh, hair products and beauty. You're talking about fashion. The whole world benefits off off black people, and if the, if that does not match the scriptures that says the world will be blessed through you, I don't know what is. It all started through us. All and, life and the thing started made,
0: through Africa.
2: I'm telling you, in... in and God is saying, and the thing, th- th- thing is, right, God is saying that we show a, a same resemblance to him. When we were pressed, when we were put in a hard situation, when we were put under the fire, it produced blessings for the world. Like, all this stuff that i talked about that people are benefiting from in the world came out of the situation that produced this for us. And the thing is, when Jesus was pressed, when Jesus was crushed, it produced life for the world. In the same way, when we were crushed, when we were oppressed, it produced life for the world. And it's coming a time, if you read the scriptures, God never abandons his people. Mm-hmm. He never leaves his people. If you, and I, I encourage you to read Exodus chapter 1, going into chapter 2, and you will see that our time for deliverance is almost here. Our time to be free is almost here. So continue to fight the good fight of faith. Continue to do good for, to one another. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Our ancestors did too much for us to give up. Mother the King and so many others fought too hard for us to give up because we will get to the promised land. We will see the glory of the coming of the Lord. And people are fighting and standing with us. People of God from every race, from every nation are standing up and fighting with us. And they will be blessed because they are fighting for the Lord. And the Lord always is on the side of justice, truth, and love. And um, I'm so thankful and I'm so grateful that God is raising up more people to, to see and fight against the injustice in the world. Not just in America, but the same system that has that trampled underfoot so many other minorities, so many other people. And and, um, I'm so, I'm just, it's going to get ugly before it gets better. But God has already promised that he has given us the victory. So we must go forth and and fight in God's strength, fight with the Lord Jesus Christ for we will see the victory. We will overcome, you know, and we will get to the promised land as a people.
0: And in order for the world to change, we're going to have to take those blows. Or we're also going to have to look towards the future. There's more people that are on our side of change than there ever has been. And we have to know that we have to breed the younger generation because they are going to be the future of how things are going to pan out. We can no longer ignore the small things. We can no longer let things slide anymore. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to police the police. We have to police each other. It's going to be a collective effort in order for the world to work together. In order for the world to be great, we're going to need togetherness. Without that, the world will continue to be divided and we'll always be at war with each other. We'll always be fighting instead of using the best of our resources to make us the greatest of the world's eras ever, ever since this rock was formed. A generation like us has never existed. And that's the beauty of it. That's where it ends. And for the last message that I'll put out, qualified immunity is a federal law within the united states system right now we have the stage right now is election season right now is the time that people need to go out to the polls and vote right now is the time that we need to go out and register ourselves to vote even if you don't want to vote that's your constitutional right i'm in the military i fight for that right for you if you choose not to want to choose all freedom to you brother but I highly encourage you to make a choice because your voice will be heard. It's going to be in local elections. It's going to be in federal elections. And qualified immunity is now at the top of my list for any change that happens in America. If a politician is not, does not have a reformation, change, or complete termination of the Qualified Immunity Act, if none of those things exist, I don't want to vote for them. I don't have positive thoughts of them. I need for this to change because, and there's something that our friend has sent us. I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to put her on blast and for people just to try to find her. But I'll just say Miss Jones. That's a pretty like general last name. Her last name is pretty, you you know, Miss Jones, we play pranks on her every now and then kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of funny Mm -hmm. messed up, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. she just uh, sent me a list of a lot of legal blankets that the government has been hiding under for a while. And I'm going to examine a lot of this stuff. And I challenge all my people to do that. Do your research, dig into the thing, dig into the hidden things because throughout all the riots, us making our voice known, making our presence like abundant, we need to be able to speak clear and concisely because if we don't speak clear and concisely of what our needs are, then they'll never happen. And qualified immunity has, from what I understand, and I may be wrong for some people, but I haven't heard enough about this. I've never heard about this. I've never heard anything. I I understood something like this possibly could have existed, but I never knew what it was. This is now at the top of my agenda for any political leader I'm ever going to vote for from the state level, from the local level to the federal level. This is the highest of my concerns, and this is going to hold the most weight. I'm going to read through these notes that my friend sent me and the list is probably going to get bigger because to be honest, the enemy has set up a lot of fail-safes for themselves to be able to make Mm -hmm. decisions without repercussions, Mm -hmm. even though the people are liable to the same repercussions from committing the same actions, but don't have the same prevention laws that exist qualified, that qualified immunity prevents them from being held liable to. They're, they could be charged for it, but they won't be prosecuted as long as qualified immunity exists. So this is at the top of my priority list when it comes to anybody that I vote for. This is the end of the podcast. I'll give the floor to my brother Fanny closing statements, and it's been a blessing to talk to all y'all. Hope uh, Hopefully in the future, we can talk about more light subject things, but currently at the time, the world ain't that light. The floor is yours.
2: Hey, man. You, you said it all, brother. I ain't got, I ain't got nothing to say, man. Uh, if I had any final remarks, man, I'll just tell people that um, you're going to see things heat up more. Um, things are going to get crazy. They're going to seem crazy. Uh, and I urge you, uh, to seek God and seek Christ um, for those who are of the faith because the Holy Spirit will, will show you the playing field not only in the natural but in the spiritual as well. and He will guide you in what you are to do, what you are to say. because uh, Jesus told us in Acts, He said, they will drag you in front of, of, kind of, in front of governors, they will drag you in front of kings, they will drag you in front of princes, they will drag you in front of senators, they will drag you in front of governor officials, and Holy Spirit said he'll give you the words to say. He'll give you the battle plan. He'll give you the strategy. He'll give you the strength and the ability to accomplish everything he wants you to do. And God always cares about people, and God always cares about the liberation of the people. For Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to give sight to the blind. I've come to give power to the oppressed. And you cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus and not be moved to action by everything that you're seeing. But know that Jesus has said that in this world there will be trouble. But he also says, take heart, for he's already overcome the world. So you take that and run with it. And for those who may not be a part of the faith, what? your conscience. Your conscience. Your conscience tells you what's right. It can't tell you what's wrong. So join the fight. Join, join everybody. It's a collective effort from every walk of life, no matter what creed, no matter what race, no matter what color, this is everybody's fight. Everybody's fight. Because as Martin Luther King said, a a threat to justice somewhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So this is everybody's fight. So may we come together and unify. And and as Jordan said, may we fight the right way. May we fight in in the booths, in the booths for our voting. May we fight by educating ourselves. And, and, and really knowing the system in which we're fighting against so we can fight the right way. Um, and that's all I have for you guys.
0: we're And no matter what your decision is, I understand we'll never leave you. For the people that are truly fighting for the change, we will never leave you alone, even amidst the times of rage when you're emotionally broken. And we will always be by your side and then we will also correct you when you are flying off the handle and that's what family and loved ones do we, we're here right by next to each other for whenever the hard times come and when the good times pass and we could all enjoy it together peace and love this has been the culture bros podcast peace out this is what it like when we roll our eyes still open
1: all they could the ocean. They say they can, they say they can. Tell me what they are smoking? Making waves, making waves, making real commotion. This is what it sound like when we roll, I still love it. All these people, all the drink, that could fit the ocean. They say they